Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness and thanks for your word. And we pray now, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. Uh, You yourself said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, uh, we embrace that today. We embrace that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, there's a lot of good works out there. There's a lot of good work to be done in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own community, and across the world. And so, Lord, we want to be thoroughly equipped and complete for those good works. And so please speak to our hearts now. Lord, guide us and lead us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, turn to Ezekiel chapter 35. We will uh, speak briefly uh, today, just chapter 35, and uh, yet some background with that. So um, we're transitioning now in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, The first part of Ezekiel was... um, uh, prophecy uh, to the historical nation of Judah, and um, a lot of what was about to come during the time of Ezekiel. As you recall, we've talked before, Ezekiel's written during the time when uh, many of the people of Judah have been carried off to Babylon. Ezekiel is in Babylon. He's one of those captives. He's a refugee, and he's Uh, preaching to other captives that are there, and yet the nation of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem is yet to be fully conquered, and so this is sort of during that interim time. So a lot of the earlier chapters in the book of Ezekiel uh, relate to what's yet to come uh, in their sort of their near future, and then we went through a section of a few chapters about some of the surrounding nations and judgment that's going to come on them, and now we move in to uh, a section, actually, uh, chapter 36 really begins a section that's very fascinating uh, related to future Israel, okay? And so we'll be going through that um, for several weeks, uh, but then we have a little bit of an interlude, and so today uh, with, um, with our limited time, it's probably a good time to have like this brief interlude in chapter 35 dealing with the nation of Edom, All right, so today we learn a little bit about the nation of Edom, uh, and the founder or the father of the Edomite nations was a man by the name of Esau. Esau, you may or may not recall, was Jacob's twin brother, the son of Isaac. So we got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Jewish line, and Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. All right, so that's Esau. In the nation, uh, in terms of the nation of Edom, that was sort of fathered by Esau, if you will, we see lots of lessons in the Scripture that you know, sort of the lessons of Esau personally give us insight into the nation of Edom nationally. Does that make sense? And so, as we kind of navigate that, we're going to learn a little bit about the person Esau, and in that, we're going to learn a little bit about the nation of Edom. And in that, we're going to learn, I think, some very important lessons for our own lives. Fair enough? Everybody good with that? Everybody's in Ezekiel chapter 35? All right, then stick your finger there and turn to Genesis chapter 25. Prophecy. 
probably be most convenient if you stick your right finger in Ezekiel because you're going to be turning back to the left. So, I'd like to give you whatever instruction is practical. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. This is really the first mention of this person, Esau. Everybody there? All right. Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children, so how many children are there? There's two. The children struggled together within her. So Rebekah is pregnant with twins, and even before these twins are born, there's a struggle. That is significant. All right? The children struggled within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. This is very important. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. So the Lord sees a bigger picture yet than Rebecca's struggle of two children, individual children, wrestling within her womb. The Lord sees two nations. That's important. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so you've got to keep in mind, in the ancient world, the older was always the leader. The firstborn, I mean, even twins, right, that are born on the same day, they're going to come out one and then the other, right? And the one that comes out first is always the boss, Right? That's the one that's always going to carry on the family legacy. That's always the one that's going to get the provision. And just while we're mentioning it here, there's the idea of the birthright and the blessing. Okay? The birthright was the responsibility to carry on the family responsibilities and legacy. You've got to keep in mind, in the ancient world, they thought more multi-generationally than we do. Right? We think when the kid is 18, kick him out and we're done with him. Right? Till they need a job, then they come back. But by and large, in our culture, at 18, you're gone, right? Well, in the ancient world, and honestly in biblical Jewish culture, it was very multi-generational. The, the generations were much more fluid than our, than our society. And so the idea was the birthright was the responsibility given to the firstborn son to, to carry on the heritage, to pass on godliness, to pass on this is what it means to be a, one of our family. Well, in order to do that, you need some provision, right? It'd be like if I left in, in our will, if Tracy and I had a will, which we do, and we said, this person's going to be in charge of carrying everything out. Well, we might also have, a, have that person as the beneficiary of a life insurance, right? This person's going to have the responsibility and the means to do what we've asked them to do. And so that, was the, and that would be the blessing. So you got the birthright, the responsibility, the blessing, the provision. Got it? So those two concepts are important as we uh, study Jacob and Esau. So God says, two nations are in your womb. Two people should be separated from your body. One should be stronger than the other. But the older, Esau, shall serve the younger. That's backwards in their mindset. 
So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was hairy like all he was hairy, he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Esau means hairy. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so they were still they were sort of fighting on the way out. So his name was called Jacob. Jacob means heel catcher. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents, and and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So bad idea uh, to have personal favorites, and particularly if one is the favorite of the husband and one is the favorite of the wife. That's That's a formula for trouble. So now Jacob cooked a stew. So Jacob is the mild-mannered one in the home, right? Mama's favorite. So he's cooking stew. Esau came in from the field. He was a hunter, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. Edom means red. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. So Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. What is the birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew with lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So we've got to see this. First of all, from the beginning, there's two nations. The nation of Jacob, which is the Jewish people. The nation of Esau, which is the Edomites. And that's who we're going to read about in Ezekiel in just a minute. The older should have, served, should have received the birthright and the blessing. That would have been Esau. But now Esau, catch this, Esau comes in one day, he's hungry. Anybody ever been out hunting game and you come in and you're hungry? Yeah, fair enough, right? And the brother, Jacob, the mild-mannered guy, I just picture him. Jacob is is a trickster. He came out of the womb grabbing the heel of his brother, right? And as you study Jacob's life, he's a trickster throughout his life. Uh, until God deals with him. But he's kind of stirring the stew. And I picture him stirring the stew like setting Esau up, right? Hey Esau, you smell my stew? Yeah, I smell your stew. It smells good. Yeah, I want that. I'm hungry. Too bad, so sad for you. Uh, It's my stew. Yeah, but I'm really hungry. Well, I don't know. What would you give me for it? I don't know. I'll give you anything. I'm famished. You ever been one of these people, right? So overcome with your physical appetites that you do stupid things? Does America, do, do we do that in our modern day world? Yeah, we do that in our modern day world. So I'm famished. I'm going to, uh, what do I care? I'm about to die, right? Anybody ever said I'm dying of thirst or I'm dying of hunger, right? That's Esau. Don't do it. So uh, Jacob says, tell you what, sell me your birthright. Birthright, schmirthright. I don't care right? What's the birthright? It's the responsibility to carry on the name. What is Esau? Esau is a man who had no regard for spiritual things. He had no regard for the generation that would come after him. He had no regard for the family legacy. He had no regard for anything except his appetite for stew. Catch that. I mean, that's lame. That's lame. So Esau despised his birthright, right? Didn't care. Now I told you there's the blessing and the birthright. 
right? Esau's holding out, right? Esau's like many of us at times. We don't want the responsibility. We just want the stuff, right? We just want the stuff. So flip over to chapter 27 of Genesis. Verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was an old man and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. Remember, Esau is Isaac's favorite. Then he said, hey, behold, now I'm old. I'm, I don't know the day of my death. By the day, by the way, Isaac will live on at least 20 years longer after this time. Isaac said, hey, I could die any moment now. He was spiritually a little bit checked out already. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out to the field, hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat and that I may bless you before I die. Now, this just seems like maybe a passing sentence. We say bless you all the time when somebody sneezes. But this is significant in the Old Testament history, right? What it means is, keep in mind, when Rebekah was pregnant, God said, the older shall serve the younger. Jacob will be served by Esau. Esau and his descendants will be in a subordinate position. That's point number one. Number two, Esau's already sold the birthright for a bowl of stew. That's point number two. Point number three, now Jacob, I'm sorry, now Isaac, I'm sorry, Isaac is wanting to sort of thwart the plans of God. God already said that Esau is going to serve Jacob. And so Esau is going to, so Jacob's going to get the birthright and the blessing, but Esau and Isaac now have this plan and Esau is going along with it that I think we can maybe get away with the blessing, but not the birthright. How do you think that's going to work out? No. Not at all. And so in the interest of time, we won't read the story. The story is uh, Rebecca and Jacob come up with a scheme. Jacob winds up getting the blessing and Esau gets weaseled out of the blessing, not exactly by means of Jacob's integrity, but nonetheless, Esau gets, or Jacob gets the blessing. So Jacob now has the birthright and the blessing, which is exactly how God had said it was going to work out. But in the meantime, Esau legitimately feels duped, right? How do you feel when you've been duped out of a lot of provision? angry. So chapter 27, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau wants the provision, but not the responsibility. And now he has this hatred for Jacob and he's determined to kill Jacob. Now, he winds up not killing Jacob, but the point in all this is Esau hates Jacob, and that hatred goes on to his descendants, and hatred over a long period of time becomes what? Bitterness. Bitterness. I hope you've heard me rant enough about bitterness that you know it's one of my, it's one of my most paranoid soapboxes. If you go on to, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, you can if you want, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us the other end of the Bible uh, commentary on, on Esau. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 
looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So Hebrews tells us sort of the rest of the story, if you will. And that is, Esau wanted the blessing. He didn't, he didn't care about the birthright. He didn't give a rip about the birthright. He, writer Hebrews says he sold that for one morsel of food. But when he didn't get the blessing, that's when he flipped out because he found no room for repentance. And the Bible calls him a profane person. A profane person. So bitterness is equated to being a profane person. Bitterness, notice, I've said this before, is a root. It's below the surface. It's hard to see. And please keep in mind, I had this conversation with a guy this week. The bitter person. What's the most, what's the most common, common denominator of a bitter person? He always says what? I'm not bitter. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The bitter person always says, I'm not bitter. That's just a reality. And so we have to discern that. We have to sort of peel away by the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Am I bitter about that person? Am I bitter about the Jacob in my life? Now, to be fair, and again, we didn't read through for the sake of time, Jacob gave Esau a bad deal on the blessing. Esau got a raw deal, no doubt about it, but he was bitter. He was very, very bitter. And I think we need to ask ourselves, is there anybody in my life, do you know how, let me back up, if somebody comes up to me in public, who do I want to embarrass? Somebody comes up to me in public and says, hey, you know Drew Geertz? My heart just kind of goes pitter-patter. I'm like, oh, I kind of almost like start to cry. I'm like, I love Drew Geertz. Right? You know that feeling you get? I mean, we're in a small town, right? Everybody knows everybody third hand, and you just haven't met their cousin yet, right? But you will, probably tomorrow. You'll meet somebody's cousin that's in this room today. And, they'll say, and you'll realize there's common thread. And they'll say, oh, yeah, you know that? Oh, yeah. This guy just warms my heart, Right? Is there anybody in your life, they say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And you can feel your jaw start to clench up. You know what I'm talking about? You can, you can just feel the intensity. And next thing you know, what are you going to talk about? Check me on this. You're going you're gonna to go back to that time when they stole your blessing. You know, I love Drew Geertz. But back in the 70s, <laughs> he borrowed my James Taylor album and never returned it. Greatest hits. You can't get them like that anymore, right? 
check me on this, your jaw muscles tense up and you go back to what they did. You go back to what they did. And I'll be honest with you, had a conversation this week with a guy. He gave me room to walk through the door, so I walked through the door of exhortation. Right? The story was all about what these other guys did. What they did, what they did. I, I don't, I, I, I agree with you that that wasn't fair. That that wasn't right. But what really matters is your heart, dude. Right? Because the bitter person is the one that suffers. Not the one that you're bitter at. So anyway, that's Esau. That's Esau. Alright? So, the nation of Edom would follow the example of Esau, and they are perpetually condemned in Scripture. You can thank me that we won't go through all the examples. Isaiah chapter 34, Jeremiah chapter 49, Ezekiel chapter 25, the entire book of Obadiah, and Malachi chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Malachi, that's repeated in, in Romans chapter 9, says this, God speaking, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. That's a strong statement from the mouth of God. Now we know, okay, just to be fair, we know that who does God love? Everybody. Everybody. So what he's talking about is he's talking about that, that bitterness, that attitude, that long-standing hatred of his brother. That's what God does not like. And that's what God hates. So we'll just read real quickly. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. So again, just like Edom is the nation of Esau, Mount Seir, Seir is where they uh, dwelt. And so Mount Seir is, is a biblical, if you will, synonym for the nation of Edom. Say to it, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I'm against you. I will stretch out my hand against you and make you most desolate. I will lay your cities waste and you shall be desolate. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Notice this, God is against Edom. And notice also how many times has God said, Then you shall know that I am the Lord to the Jewish people. He now says it to the Gentile people. Does God have a desire for the Gentiles to be saved? Yes, he does. Because... Now we have a because word. We like because words because they give us insight. Because you've had what? An ancient hatred. That's bitterness. Because you've had an ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. So they had an ancient hatred. That's the reason because uh, God is against them. That's the definition of bitterness is an ancient hatred. And that they shed the blood of the children of Israel at the time of their calamity. Historical backdrop, the nation of Israel, or the nation of Judah, when they were being conquered by the Babylonians, the Edomites were all too eager to jump in there and help the Babylonians. And so they were happy to, uh, to carry out their ancient hatred of their, really, their, their cousins. Therefore, verse 6, as I live, says the Lord, I will prepare for you blood, and blood shall pursue you. Since you have not hated blood, therefore blood shall pursue you. Thus I will make Mount Seir most desolate, and cut off from it one who leaves and one who, more, who returns. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and in your valleys and all your ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. I will make you perpetually desolate, and your cities shall be uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am 
the Lord. And so God promises destruction, destruction that's honestly yet to be fully fulfilled. Verse 10, we have another because. Because you have said, these two nations, referring to the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess them, although the Lord was there. Now, notice this. The first because we had was bitterness. The second because, and this is important, is that the Edomites were trying to thwart the purposes of God. There's two take-home lessons today. Number one is, don't be bitter. Number two, don't try to undermine the purposes of God. God told Esau's mother, way back when he, was, he and Jacob were in the womb, Two nations are going to be born. The one will serve the other. Esau's nation will serve Jacob's nation. Esau's nation will be subordinate to Jacob's nation. And Jacob, we know, his land, his, his people, they entered into what kind of land? What was it called? The promised land, right? Who promised the promised land to the Jewish people? God did. What happens to God's promises? Are they sort of conditioned on like, if things don't go well for the Jewish people, maybe we can come in and scoop that land up? No, not at all. And so they're trying to thwart the purposes of God. You don't do that. Verse 11, therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy with which you showed in your hatred, which you showed in your hatred against them, and I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I've heard all your blasphemies, which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are desolate. They are given to us to consume. Thus, with your mouth, you have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me, and I have heard them. So more of the same, God's purposes always stand. So that promised land given to the nation of Israel, God promised that promised land to the nation of Israel. That promise is still there. Guess what? What do we see worked out so many years later and even yet to be completely fulfilled? God's promises still stand. God made a lot of promises, and this gets into a whole sort of theological tangent. God made a lot of promises to the Jewish people. And just because we don't see them fully fulfilled or we're not sure how that's going to work out, whatever like that. Can you know this? God's promises are God's promise. And, just, and for us, when God says things like, to us like, I will never leave you nor forsake you, guess what? We can stand on that promise. Why? Because we know he didn't trash the, the promises to the nation of Israel. Romans 9 and 10 and 11. We know that since he didn't trash the promises to the Israel, we know that he won't trash his promises to us. And so that's, that's a whole different story. Right? But the promised land was given to the nation of Israel, and the Edomites tried to undermine the purposes of God. Don't try to undermine the purposes of God. You wind up fighting against God, and that never works. Verse 14, thus says the Lord God, The whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. As you rejoice because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So one day the whole earth is going to rejoice, not with bitterness like the Edomites, but rejoice over the fact that God is going to restore order in this world. 
God is going to one day restore order in this world, I believe very soon, whereby uh, there's going to be a rapture of the church, there's going to be seven years of what seems like complete chaos that God is still sovereign over. Then Jesus comes back and he sets up a, a kingdom for a thousand years called the millennial kingdom. Satan is bound during that time and God rules and reigns. The nation of Israel, all the, all the promises made to the nation of Israel are fulfilled during that thousand years. All these that we see maybe partially fulfilled when Jesus came, maybe partially a little more fulfilled in 1948 when the nation became a nation, maybe more completely fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. We can look forward to that. And God is going to restore order. But along the way, have you ever noticed that there's a temptation in us sometimes to be like Esau? Esau's a great warning for us. There are lots of examples in Scripture. Like, I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Peter. I want to be like Jesus. But don't make light of the fact that there are also lots of lessons to be learned. You know what? I don't want to be like Esau. You know what? I don't think I want to be like Jezebel. You know, there's a couple other people down there I don't want to be like, right? Don't ever name your kid Jezebel, okay? There's a lot of people that maybe I don't want, or maybe I want to be like this person in this way, but maybe learn the lessons from their flat spots. Is it, are we thankful that God, you know, think about King David. Praise the Lord that God didn't give us a sugar-coated view of King David's life, right? We can learn of his victories and we can learn of his failures. And with Esau, let's learn from his failures, right? And from his, he and his descendants, number one, he had a perpetual hatred. Beware of bitterness. It won't destroy the guy that stole your James Taylor album. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. And beware of trying to undermine the purposes of God. If God says, I'm going to do this, and you try to like, well, yeah, but I'd rather do it my way. Beware of that. Beware of that. It's super dangerous. Super dangerous. God is in control. God's sovereign. God's ways are best. And God is ultimately motivated by His great love for us. You know, <clears throat> the older I get, the more I don't even want to fight against the purposes of God. Right? Why? Because I know what's in His heart. I know what motivates Him. What motivates Him is what's best for me. Bitterness is not best for me. Just let it go. Let yourself be wronged. Can I tell you this? We're all going to have opportunity in life to just let ourselves be wronged, right? Somebody weasels you out of some money, let it go. Let it go. God will bring that money somewhere else. I've seen this so many times, I can't count them. Let it go. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the good examples in Scripture and the examples to stay away from. Lord, thank you that Esau teaches us so much. And yet your grace is there, Lord. The problem with Esau, Hebrews tells us, is that he found no room for repentance. 
But grace is always available through repentance and faith in you. And so, Lord, we just want to be your children. We want to be your children that walk in truth, that walk in your grace, and that give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.